you have some top guys that just openly and freely give it, like, here's all my best stuff. It's all yours. Like, I don't, I don't need nothing here. Those leaders and their desire to just give away their best stuff and hope, that's yeah. what sets the stage for everybody else. Like, if Steve's willing to give me all his best stuff, well, then I'm willing to get my best stuff too. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Thanks for checking out this episode. If you're interested in trying to find out how we can help you grow and scale your mortgage business, visit ilovemortgagebrokering.com. We are constantly creating new training and workshops on a variety of topics. For instance, if you want to learn how to pitch a realtor, a brand new realtor you've never met before, and walk away with a referral after a single meeting, we can help you do that. Check out ilovemortgagebrokering.com to find out how we can help you innovate and grow your mortgage business. Today in this episode, I talked to my good friend, Jason Suddy. Jason is a mortgage broker based out of Chilliwack, BC. He's also one of our 10 loans a month clients or members. And the thing I love about Jason is he cultivates a powerful mindset. If you spend time with Jason, you can't help but just feel positive and upbeat. Like he's such an amazing guy. And the secret, in my opinion, after 250 some interviews, the secret to success is actually, it's going to be in mindset. Your success in your mortgage business is 80% mindset and 20% tactics and strategy. Jason's mindset is absolutely rock solid and something that he works on consistently. I mean, he talks about a failure that he had and he literally did everything right. He did everything he could to prevent this. He had, you know, assurances from his lender. This deal blows up anyway. And at no point does he play the blame game. At no point does he start pointing fingers. He just focuses on, okay, well, how can I solve this? How can I fix it? And it's just a perfect example of how a strong mindset will allow you to get through the ups and downs of being a mortgage broker. Because this is this is a wonderful career, but it can be very stressful at times. So check out this episode with Jason. I think you're really going to love it. And check out ilovemortgagebrokering.com to find out how we can help you. Hey, Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you for having me, Scott. So, hey, I'd love to ask, how did you get into the mortgage business? What was your path into this career? I kind of fell backwards into it, to be honest with you. Prior to mortgage brokering, I had zero finance, zero banking. I knew what my checking account was, and that was the gist of my banking experience. I was actually bartending. Yeah. I did that. And I'd gone through BCIT. I was did a marketing diploma and did like what a lot of people do when they graduate post-secondary education. Like the idea of finding a great job was really tough. I had a bunch of crappy ones. And so I remember I decided to go back to bartending because at least I knew I could make good money while I tried to quote unquote figure out life. My father, uh, before we were married, but my late father-in-law, kind of him and I were chatting one day and he, because I had just gone an interview for um, what was Sun Life, remember when Sun Life was Clerica? Yeah. And I did, a, I did an interview for them and I came home thinking like, God, this is good. Not realizing they're just lights out recruiters. Right. But I remember they he said- everybody. Everybody. And- at the time, my father-in-law worked for Ford. He was sold cars his whole life. He, and I remember I came home. I was super pumped about like doing this Clerica thing. And he said to me, he's like, you know, as much as I want you to have a career and figure that out, do you love life insurance? And I'm like, what? What kind of dumb question is that? He's like, do you love it? I'm like, uh, not really. I mean, I see there's a purpose. He's like, okay, because the two hardest things on the planet to sell are life insurance and cars. And I love cars. And all the year. Oh, that was wisdom there though, right? Right. So, right. Cause he's right. Like it's the hardest thing, but he loved what he was selling so he could push through and I would have never been able to push through. So he asked me if I wanted to be, he's like, ever thought about being like an insurance broker or a mortgage broker? And I'm like, I don't know what those are. So something about mortgage brokering sounded cooler than being an insurance broker to me. Right. And his best friend was a mortgage broker. And he's like, why don't you talk to this guy? I went out 
again, no experience. Sat, he worked out of his house in West Van. I sat on his patio. And in between him talking on the phone all day, we just shot the shit. And then sure enough, he was like, hey, do you ever think about, uh, want to be my assistant? I'm like, okay. And that was it. <laughs> that was the extent of it. How long ago That's was that? 18 years. Okay. And then, so how long were you worked as an assistant before you branched on Like a year. And not super long. There was like a position of that, like it was me being his assistant. And that's all I did. And right. then there was probably another year of me helping him train assistants, get that squared away while I was learning the business. But like the idea of getting into this game, like I don't know how anyone does it outside of being an assistant. Like I just, I have no clue. Right. I mean, there's because, other paths. That is, it is a very common path that people- It is, well, because you think about it, right? There's, there's two things. There's structuring a deal and knowing the product and there's being able to sell. And- I didn't have to worry about selling for a, a year, year and a half. I just worried about product. And then once I got to that year, year and a half, I stopped worrying about product because I knew almost all of it. Because he did probably 30 or $40 million a year. And I touched this every was one 18 of his deals. years ago, which would have been yep. much smaller mortgages. Yep. Well, he was in West Van too, but still it was, he let me touch every deal and talk to clients and do stuff. So I came out of the training with so much like confidence because I was like, I remember being right. at like lender stuff and, dinners and having brokers that were five and six years in, you know, cause everyone talks about deals and they're talking about, they can't get deals done. I'm like, Oh, you can do that. That guy, blah, 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 blah. And so right. it gave me a, gave me a lot of confidence. Right. Yeah. I honestly think that the best model for the mortgage industry would be an apprenticeship model because then it would mean that we would have fewer numbers, but the quality of the people would be higher, I think. And you'd actually know what you're doing because it's like, imagine if you, you're cutting hair. You go online, you get a you know, haircutting license and then you're like, okay, I can cut your hair. Nobody's going to hire you. Your hair will grow back pretty quick. Screwing somebody's mortgage up could cost them like tens of thousands of dollars or more. And so you're messing with people's lives and you don't know what you're doing. Like it is definitely yeah, uh, yeah. It's mind blowing to be honest with you. But. It's mind blowing. But so I, I, th I like the path of the assistant. If you can get yeah. that path, it's not easy to do. The problem is that most people who want to hire assistant they don't want to train you for two years for you to leave, right? So this is the, the reality is, is that they're like, okay, I'm going to train you, teach you everything that I know. Then you're going to go across the street and become my competitor. It's a very interesting it's dynamic. It's hard. It's There's hard. no, yeah. You know what helped me is I always had the perspective of, we tried a bunch of different payment theories. Like we did the hourly, we did like all the different things. But the one thing I always had in my, held in my mind was that for like, there's going to be a period of time in the beginning where he's paying me more than he should. I know nothing. Right. So even, even a dollar was too much because I didn't know anything. Right. But then you get to a piece where it's value for dollar. Okay. I get paid about what I'm worth. And at that point, most people are like, okay, I'm done. I want to go out and do my thing. But I had it ingrained in me. I don't know why, but I, I just, I felt this like duty that I'm like, I owe him on the back end though. I owe right. him some time. Yeah, that, where and I'm what training the assistants and all the other part, like, that's how you make an arrangement. That's a win yeah. for both parties. And that's, I felt, I felt just in my heart, I owed that to him, right? That I got to give you some time where you just, you get to win and I get to, I, I have to make less or whatever that is. And, you know, I think people that really, the other kind of selfishly, like the people that really believe in us having an assistant, mm -hmm. like myself included, I don't, I'm specifically looking for someone that has no desire to broker. Right. I want, you're, not hiring, right. you're not trying to hire you. What's a big, no. that's another, I see most novice people who are first hired. They're like, oh my gosh, we're so the same. I'm going to hire this person and you're going to be, and then you're like, sure enough, they're like, they want to be you. So you just you created a monster in a way. You want to hire somebody oh. who's like, I love this role. Please don't make me go out and sell, but I'm happy to sit here and I'll, you know, this is where I'm in my happy place. 
Oh, right. my assistant, when I did my assistant's first review six months in, I hire on gut. I did my reviews on gut. Like I don't get into like check boxes and stuff. And I only asked her two questions. I said, I, I want to hear what part of the job you absolutely hate and what part of the job you absolutely love. And she was sitting at her computer with like the computer in front and she looks at me and she's like, I hate not knowing stuff. Like I hate it. The fact that like anybody can ask you anything and you just have an answer I'm just, at least like, that's what I want. And of course I was like, well, you've been here six months. I've been here for, you know, 16 years. So one would hope that I have the answer. Right. But she gave me that thirst of knowledge. She like, she had that thirst for knowledge, which was great. But then I'm like, what part do you love? And she had paperwork all over the desk because she was working on a deal. And she just kind of refers to the screen and the paperwork. She's like, you know, I, I just love this. And I'm like, that is the worst part. I can't believe you love right. it. <laughs> yeah. It's the worst part for you. But the thing oh, is, it's actually she a gift loved for her. It. Right. It is. Yeah. I struggled hiring my first assistant because I because I couldn't get past that roadblock of like I thought to myself, who wants to do this job? Right. Like this because I hated that part so much. But a good friend he said to me, he's like, you know, there's people for everything. I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand. He was like, he's like, do you know how many people hate Microsoft Excel? I'm like, and like, but then there's you. I'm like, that's true. He's like, so that's it, right? It's so, that yeah. you, there's something totally- somebody for everything. It's totally, and you get to support their family. Okay, cool. So before we dive into the rest of your story, I always like to ask about a quote that's had an impact on your life or business. So can you share a quote and then how you've applied it? Hey, the cheesy answer I want to say is there's no points for second place by Viper and Top Gun, but that's not the real one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you know, this is kind of a moving target. I've always been, there's two things that stick out. Even before this whole last dance with Michael Jordan thing, I was always a Jordan fan. And there was a series of commercials that ran years ago and the theme of it was become legendary. And so at the very end of one of those commercials, the thing that Jordan finishes with is he's talking to a bunch of younger kids and he says, you know what, maybe I destroyed the game or maybe you're just making excuses. So that one, right? And then finally, the other one I like is Jim Rohn, who always has a millions, but his is don't wish it was easier, wish you were better. That one I've always, that's probably been my go-to for most of my It's kind of, those quotes really say the same thing with just different words, really. Both both of them are like, don't blame, don't make excuses, just get better. So, okay, how how do you specifically apply that philosophy to your, your life or business? You know what? I think I inherently... I'm big on responsibility. It's just a natural like thing. And even now with an assistant, I have the philosophy in my company. I don't care if there's if I have one assistant or 16, everything's my fault. Everything. Right. Top to bottom, front to back, it's my fault. And I'm kind of a bit of a duck. I don't dwell on things. So I just, I rather just do. Like I'm a, I'd rather be doing stuff. So I think instead of making excuses, I just do it, right? You know, I, so many times, you know, you and I have been on many calls together and we talked to, talked to many people and you watch people in the weeds for like, well, like what if I have the wrong Apple headset? I'm like, who cares? Don't use a headset then. Like just yeah. go. Speakerphone, right? man. Just turn on the speaker Something. Phone get on the phone for the love of God. Yeah. So I think that's probably what it is. It's just that no excuses, just, just do it. Right. And then learn from it as you go, right? You're, there's yeah. never going to be perfect. Just learn and go. Okay. So let me ask you this. Failure happens, you know, in business as an entrepreneur, as a mortgage broker. Can you think of a time that you failed, but looking back, there was a lesson on it? Because I think there's always, for me, the lessons that stick the most have always been the failures. The stuff that works, you're like, it just kind of worked. I'm, you know, good. But it's the ones that you're like, oh, that sucked. Like, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. I think of the worst deal I had. 
And why it was is I don't want to, I mean, I could talk about this deal for days, but the gist of it was, is this person was buying a pre-sale. social which, insurance number is, no, don't do that. You know, yeah. like his name but, is, he lives at social yeah. Just, yeah, but, like redact that information, but yeah, that'd be great. So this guy was buying a pre-sale, but there was only six months till it closed. So it wasn't like a two year, but it also wasn't the, within the 44 days. And he had a unique situation that he worked for his family business and Bottom line is the income was really weird. The ownership of the company was really weird. There's a lot of weird stuff, but I fortunately had a, you know, a couple of friends that are vice presidents of lenders. And so basically I couldn't get a full approval because it was six months out, but we got him on board, got the insurer on board and it boiled down to that he had to get added to the company because he wasn't. And when he, they added him to the company, they were just going to waive two years. They didn't, they understood that. And there was basically two conditions we had to do, we had to wait for. And so I get those two conditions done and now I send it in and we've got about a month and a half to go. As far as I was concerned, everyone was on board and I trust this person. And to this day, I still trust this person at the lender. And I get a call. We got a problem. The insurer backed out. So now there's scrambling. And so then I go to another and he actually, this guy helped me go to another his old lender to use a different insurer and help like, so he's helping me structure a deal with the other lender. The competitor. Yep. And so, but I remember, I remember vividly thinking everything was going to, because I was, so I'm talking to this underwriter and at the end of the day, the day he starts working on it, he asked me a really mundane question, like something that we know the deal is almost done. One of those, I'm like, so sorry. And then this lender calls me and he's like, hey, I know you're sitting on pins and needles, but I just wanted you to know that they've asked for the financials and this type of business is notorious for having really bad financials. It's just the way it works. So he's like, they've asked for the financials and you and I both know what these kind of financials are going to look like. So this doesn't look good. So I was a ghost. Like, I'm like, I'm going to have to tell this client to sue me. Right. Because he's removed his subjects and it was, it was the worst feeling. I remember I, I, I didn't blame anybody, but I remember being like, I'm, I'm the good guy. Like I don't break the rules. I do all my disclosures. Why is yeah, this you happening did, to You me? did due diligence on top of I did diligence. everything. And I'm also not going to sewer my friend that helped Like I'm, there's not. And sure enough, back then I get the standard expert, you've got an approval. And I get that like seven o'clock at night that night. And I'm like, I'm not expecting anything. And sure enough, this lender figured it out and got it approved. And so I guess that was the hardest thing I've ever had to go through. Like I, I almost threw up. I was so rattled. About and you're telling that. this in a quick period, but this was dragged out. I'm sure this was like, oh, like yeah. yeah, this was these, whenever you have these nasty files, as anybody yeah. who's experienced knows, it's like, it's like, you know, uh, I found, so I was a paramedic for nine years. I found being a mortgage broker more stressful than being a paramedic. Because it was oh. over. I go, I pick up whatever the chaos of the scene was. I pick them up. I patch them up, take them to the hospital. And then I'm out. I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm, my shift is over. When you're a mortgage broker, your shift is not over if somebody is waiting for their money. And oh. they're like, or they're going to be like, I'm going to sue you because you screwed up. Back yeah. to the whole why we need should be an apprenticeship model is because that is the kind of stuff that can happen. Yeah. And so I just remember, it's not that I was neglectful in this before. I'm sure the underwriters, if there's one thing they hate about the way I do things is I'm relentless on subject removal day, like relentless. Like I read it and sign off it. Like, I don't care if the guy has a hundred grand in the bank, he's had it for 10 years and he only needs 20,000 for a down payment. I don't care. Sign off on down payment. I like, so 
it gave me the confidence too, though, like not even the confidence, but just it really simmered down the anxiety that as long as I don't tell you to remove subjects, as long as I don't tell you to, I'm clear. So that's what it was, right? Is to sit there and make sure it's just to realize that as long as they don't remove subjects, you're fine. Are they, could they be upset that they lose the place? Maybe, but no one's going to jail. No you're one's getting, getting sued. sued. Yeah. Not get so, sued for that. Yeah. So that one really resonated with me just to, to relax on most situations because they're not this right. But I think part of your process is the fact that you're so relentless about making sure they sign off on all those conditions so that you can go, it's done. I remember they go and there's the one outstanding condition that's sort of just linked. You're like, okay, we should be fine with this. But that's the one that always creates all the stress. Every time you're like, you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, man, I sure hope that goes through. And so like, it's just psychologically exhausting. So, okay. Systems. I know that you're very much a a technology guy, systems guy. In the last six months to a year, what's the best improvement you've made to your systems in your business? Well, easy because I mean, you and I, you helped me with this. Hiring an assistant was hands down the, the best thing. And the interesting part is for me, it, the reason it was the best thing was my mindset. It actually wasn't time savings. Yes, there's a great deal of time savings and the whole idea of the whole what's your hourly rate conversation. Yes, all of that's there. But when I'm not worried about or thinking about calculating someone's income or like just like whatever whatever the assistant's doing for you and then all you're doing is stuff you like Mm -hmm. you're just in such a better space and you have a better energy level and you're excited and better more ideas come so that was probably the biggest biggest thing is to have that shift into just a different mindset when i'm not worrying about things that i just don't want to do and that's different for everyone but like i know the stuff so it took you a while to actually do it but you're like hiring the assistant was the key big change to your process your systems this year yeah and you know what's really nice is that for me as a systems guy they actually subconsciously in a way those assistants hold you accountable even if they don't know because it's so easy to cut a corner when you have no one because you know the right exactly right but when you have to an example is it's like right now i'm teaching her how to actually enter stuff in phylogics and it's made me realize like how many corners you can cut in phylogics because you know there's a box for a preferred contact method. Well, we don't use expert for anything else, so I skip over that stuff, right? Like, so but she it's doesn't. Ha- nope. And 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 you know, it's given me an actually an opportunity. Like I almost look at it as like a fresh start. I think of like when I go through that expert application, how many bad habits I have, and right. now I can teach her. Like I'm not going to tell her what my habit is, but I'm just going to say this is how you're going to do it. And right. so it's actually it's really helpful. That's really good. Okay, cool. So I always think like your business has leads, teams, and systems. So you kind of combine systems and team there. But so in terms of like on the sales side of your business, what's mm-hmm. a, a change or an improvement you made in the sales part of your business in the last six months to a year? I think of two things. Number one is working with you guys. I'm not just saying that because we're on a podcast together, but working with you guys and doing some of the programs. It's really helped to give me a reason. The only way I can explain it is have a great product in a way to bring to a realtor. It's so hard to reach out to a realtor and sometimes add value. Like, yeah, right. you're a nice guy. You know about, you're going to try and get the best rate and all that other BS. That we good service and everything. Yeah, like, and, 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 it's, and it's all true. Like none of yeah. it's not true, but it, it just, none of it resonates. And I've never been a referral fee guy. Like I've ne- that's, I think that's too slippery of a slope. So on some of the programs that we've implemented, when I get to call, and it's really nice is that I believe in them. So when I call, I actually quite like it now for a guy that used to hate making sales calls and, and got a lot of 
my backup against when someone said no. Now I love it because my mindset's like, I love that you don't like this. Because then I'm seeing like, you don't have any clue what you're doing because you're right. missing out because this is a golden opportunity. And because right. you see it totally you, differently. You're like, totally yeah. different. Yeah. And especially because when you do talk to the people, they're like, hold on a second. It's going to be A, B, and C. I'm in. I'm like, well, right. maybe we the, should. The good it. ones are exactly the ones. They don't even want to wait. They were like, let's do it right this second. So that was really nice. And then I also came up with a bit of um, a strategy on social media, right? So not just to go in and post pictures of my cat or whatever it is. Like it's, I actually have some strategies. I mean, you and I have talked about them. So, but like going in and reaching out and DMing people and having this almost a script of what I'm going to say in the DM to get them to a call. So it's actually when people tell you, you can't quantify your time on social media, false. 100% you can quantify it if you do the right things. Right. If you're not just scrolling through watching, you know, Facebook, Facebook is so smart because it knows the kind of stuff I like. So you put, everybody knows this, but like, I like watching boxing or, and it's like, Facebook's like, they're like, boom, you know, fight video, boxing video, UFC. I'm like, oh, I can't leave. This is so interesting. I know. There's, and my wife's, if you look at hers, it has none of that crap. Hers is like baking and stuff, right? So it's interesting how it's so compelling, but people can waste a lot of time social media if you don't have a plan, like you said. So you just, you have a plan for those and that's very interesting. Okay. So if somebody was starting out in the business for the first 90 days, what would your advice be to someone who's like, I'm new in the business? What what is one or two things they should do to get started? The first thing I think is like, I think of the product knowledge side of it, right? You have to learn some products. So my first thing that I would tell them is to reach out to their, their BDMs, right? Reach out to the lenders, make it yourself, but have some sort of format on what you need to know. And this is real technical side, like, you know, hey, you know, MCAP, what's your rental offset policy? And kind of just go through that, make a list. It's just, a, and, and what it does is A, when you're brand new, and if you have very little knowledge, you're going to start hearing the same things over and over again, like whether it's rental offsets or LTVs or whatever the policies are. So that helps you remember those things, which leads to my biggest point to, to anybody is this business is 100% about relationships, like relationships with everybody. And you and I have done this long enough to know that like, and have good, I have a good enough relationship with certain lenders. I can get deals approved in an hour, not all the time, but because I've done, built those relationships. So doing that product research is your first step in building a relationship with the lender side of things. I think right. that's... You have two sales in a way. You've got to sale to the client or the referral source, and then you've got to sale to your underwriter to be like, Hey, like work with me, help me with, like you said, you can get a deal done in an hour because they like you. I've seen people in our business who treat their underwriters like they're like, you know, like garbage, like just get it done. What's wrong with you? It's like, Whoa, dude, you don't screw up that relationship. The relationship with the lender is critical to your success. And the other thing that people forget too, is that like a lot of lenders, the hierarchy is doc person, underwriter, escalations guy. I can almost promise you, unless they quit that doc person will end up being your underwriter at one point. And if you treated them like garbage when they were just collecting docs, it's not going to go well for you. Right. And the best ones will be the escalation people. Like this is a little bit more advanced, but like the art of the push is probably one of the biggest overlooked things in our industry. If somebody works for BC Hydro and has like 20% down, like it's a pretty straightforward deal, right? Like it's your, they can go anywhere and that's, that's kind of easy, but it's when you need a push. It's when you need a document waived. And that's, I think, and to be able to ask for that is humongous. Like that's what, right. that's one of our biggest things. If someone had their choice in 90 days, I would 
tell them to like find a broker in their area and shadow them. Just listen. And then the last thing, the tangible, the last tangible thing they can do, and this is obviously, this is a BC specific thing, but Canadian Mortgage Brokers Associations, BC, they have their course. It used to be called the Implied Information Course, and I have to apologize. That's not what it's called now. Yeah, I don't know what it's called either. But it, it, you know what? It's such a great supplement because what you take through UBC teaches you nothing. No, it's, this, this it's virtually like useless. Yeah. So this is actually now, how do you enter deals an expert? A little bit about marketing, but it's just such a better like, okay, now I know what I'm getting into. Right. I think that that's huge. That's a good next place. So you just made me think of something there. Oh, so sure. that whole shadowing. So when Jules, my business partner, so when we first partnered up, I think she only been the, shouldn't been in business that long, like less than two years. She's kicking butt and taking names now. But the thing that did it for me, the reason I was like, you're the person that I want to partner with is she told me that when she first started out, she went and volunteered. She found the busiest broker in the office. And she said, can I do paperwork or anything for you? She came from, she was a bartender, just like you. So she was great with people. People side was easy. Didn't have the banking background. And she said, can I work on your files? I'll do paperwork. Anything you need, I'll help you just to get experience. And she did that for like six months or eight months. And I was like, a person who's willing to do that because she wants to be great is somebody I want to work with. That was one of the key things. And she's been like the best business partner I could have possibly imagined. I always find it's when you tell people to shadow and like, you know, or even like depending on your industry, if it's not even a mortgage, just to go in and, and like learn from somebody. And like, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, what, what do you pay? And I was like, you give UBC, you give UBC 80 grand to give right. you an education. I'm giving it to, to you go free. work at Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. Right. Whereas like, so to me, it's, it's, I always find it interesting that like the ability to, to someone to open up their, their book and say, Hey, here's, you can see what I do. There's so much value in that. Right. And, and it's actually so, and, the real job. It's actually the real, oh, stuff. it's not just like totally. practical. Okay. So, so you're in part of a program. What would you say has been the biggest takeaway for you from our 10 loans a month program? Okay. For me, it's the things that I've liked is obviously, like I say, the product, right? Like, you know, like whether it's Create 5, setting up, you know, your systems with your customer journey. There's terms like customer journey I still use to this day, right? Like I use it. So that's good. But to me, the community has been the best part, right? It's like the ability for getting on calls, no matter what we were doing and someone being like, you know what, this is the way I do it. And I'm like, and then when one person does that, Everybody can't help it. And yeah, it's a group. Um, I love the group think. It's like we, we have an idea and then it's all of a sudden the thing is like improved four or five times because of the inputs of the different, you're like, oh, and you got smart people in the room. So that's another key. Yeah, ingredient. I remember vividly when coronavirus hit. Like I remember specifically when that hit. And I remember that Monday, there was a call yeah. on Mindset with Steve. And I'll always remember that call. I always yeah. will. And because it, it was perfect it was just perfect for the mindset, right? And so you have, whether it's, you know, Steve's expertise, like you have some top guys that just, mm. Dion, that just openly and freely give it, like, here's all my best stuff. It's all yours. Like, I don't, I don't need nothing here. Those leaders and their desire to just give away their best stuff and hope, that's yeah. what sets the stage for everybody else. Like if Steve's willing to give me all his best stuff, well, then I'm willing to get my best stuff too. Right, yeah. No, that's a good point, actually. That's good. Okay, so rapid fire questions. You can answer these as shorter answers if you like. <laughs> if you like. Uh, I know that's going to be difficult for you, Jason. I do actually. This has been a really fun conversation. What's the number one thing holding back most mortgage brokers from being successful? Caught in the weeds. Right. That's good. Right. Caught in the weeds. Yeah. Every little detail. It's like, oh, is it this? Is it should I use a blue pen or a red pen or a black pen? Like, you, ah, I can't decide. It's like, what the heck? It doesn't matter. It's been 
probably five years where at any given moment, I can't tell you the exact best rate in the industry. I don't know. I like, you know, I don't know, around two and a half, somewhere in that range. Like, I don't know, because I don't get caught in the weeds, right? I, like, I just won't get caught in that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what holds them back. And they're not leaders, right? Everyone's been programmed to talk about rate and only rate. So they are just sheep and they follow. They don't take a leadership position and say, no, I'm going to be, we're talking about this. This is what's important. Right. So that's, I think, where they get caught up and they're just like everybody else. Right. In NLP, it's called reframing. It's like, you thought yeah. this was important, but actually it's this. So let's talk. And then they're yeah. like, oh, and they didn't even know, right? Okay. Yeah. So what's one thing or how many things made you successful? Follow up. I get literally, I don't know how many deals, I get probably 10 deals a year from somebody, whether it's like a realtor or a client. And the only reason they use me is they're like, oh, I can't believe you called me back. I'm like, but that's a thing for you? And they're like, yeah, I've told four different brokers and no one's called me back. I'm like, well, this is going to be easy if that's all right. I need. Yeah, exactly. Right? And I've done it through systems and I've done it with just like making notes, but there is always, always, always a next step. I don't know what it right. is, but always a next step. So whenever I have a communication with anybody, it's literally, I diarize, what's that going to be? That's how it's my follow-up when I always know there's something next. You don't just hang up the phone and say, oh, this is a great conversation. It's like you're planning what's the next step for that. Do I, when do I need to reach out to them? Who do I need to talk to? And that goes for personal things too, right? Or just like, it doesn't necessarily be a client thing. Maybe it's a lender thing, like anybody, but I, there's always a next step. Right, good. What about internet software resource program that you use that's been really helpful? What's something that has been good for you? Uh, without getting too technical, a CRM of some point. Doesn't matter, like there's a million of them and they all have pros and cons, but and I'm talking like a real CRM. I don't know how many people think they want a CRM and all they want to do is to do mail outs. And if that, I mean, to me, that's not good enough, but if all you want to do is mail out your clients and just use MailChimp, you don't need to spend $8 million. Right. But that's- but Hopefully you're not spending $8 million on your CRM either, but I know what you're saying. To get into some sort of a CRM that can automate some tasks for you is humongous. Right. Okay. If you could recommend one book for listeners, what would it be? Start with why by Simon Sinek. That's a good one. And then last question, hundred thousand. I wrote you a check for hundred grand. I'm like, here you go, brother. The only condition is you got to actually spend it on your business. What would you spend money on to get a return on your business? One of two things. I would either go all in on my CRM even more than I already have. Yeah. Just really crank the automation or I would go down the social media and video path. Right. You would put it into marketing and systems would be the two. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Because for me, I like the sales side. Right. So I don't need to, like, I don't need to pay a sales guy or something like that. And I just see value in those other things. And I, if the marketing kept you on the phone more and then you had good systems to keep your business running. Okay. It's good. Awesome. So where can people find you online? I have my mortgage, study mortgage, everything. Fortunately, I have a fairly unique last name. So if you type in my last name, which is Sunny, S-U-T-T-I-E, and mortgage, you're going to find my Instagram yeah, account. You're, my, you're the only one. You are. Yeah, if you type it, now if you just type in Jason Sunny, you're going to find some dude who is like ultimate fighter out of Chicago. Oh, nice. I am not from Chicago. I'm not. He's Samoan, by the way. Okay. And his nickname is The Psycho. Jason The Psycho Sunny. That is not. Okay. Have you, it's kind of funny when you search your name. There's a guy who was a hockey player. He played in junior B and there's, and there's another guy in Eastern Canada who is a small town counselor, city counselor and stuff. So it'd be kind of neat to meet that person who's like you, right? You're, yeah. You're well, and plus, cause this guy, like he was in like the, I don't know if he's in the UFC, but whatever, but he had a somewhat public life 
he's on the first two pages. He's everywhere. Right. And, he's, it's usually, you can't and it's a YouTube video of him pounding the crap out of somebody. So yeah, if you, you have to type my name and then mortgage. And then yeah, mortgage too. Okay, awesome. Well, hey man, I really appreciate this conversation with you. Thanks so much. And we'll have links on the show notes if you want to find where Jason is. You don't have to type in his last name. Thanks, brother. You're welcome, man. Hey, Broker Nation. Thanks for checking out this episode. And wasn't that a great conversation with Jason? Just like, what a, what a somebody, he's the kind of guy you'd want to go have a beer with and just hang out. Just so much, such a fun conversation I have with him. So if you're interested in figuring out how you want to scale your mortgage business, you want to get better at it, check out ilovemortgagebrokering.com. We're always creating new training and masterclasses and workshops on a whole bunch of topics. For instance, you want to figure out how do I like shave four or five hours off my workday and uh, get more done? Check out ilovemortgagebrokering.com. We can show you some of that. And thank you so much for being a listener. We really appreciate you.